0: Hi, today I'd love to introduce you to VideoBlogs.com, a website that allows you to include sound effects for podcast or video background on your website. With VideoBlogs, there is no reason for your creative needs to be compromised due to budget constraints. You get studio quality stock, including HD footage, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and more for a fraction of the cost. Go to VideoBlogs.com, and get exclusive discounts on millions of additional marketplace clips, where you save 40% and can use clips for commercial and personal projects. And if you go to videoblogs.com slash expansion drive, you can start your seven day trial. Welcome everybody to another episode of uh, Data Science at Home. In uh, this episode we will learn how to handle imbalanced datasets. And uh, due to the fact that in machine learning and uh, in data science in general, it is very common to deal at some point with imbalanced datasets and uh, class distributions. Now this is the typical case where the number of observations that belong to one class is significantly lower or higher than those belonging to the other classes. And actually, this happens all the time in in several domains, from finance to healthcare to social media, just to name a few I've personally worked with. Think about a bank detecting fraudulent transactions uh, among millions or billions of daily operations, or or equivalently in healthcare for the identification of... uh, a rare disease. Now, in genetics, uh, but also with clinical lab tests, this is a normal scenario, in which fortunately, I must say, there are very few patients affected by a disorder and therefore very few cases with respect to the large pool of healthy patients or not affected. Now, there is no algorithm that can take into account the class distribution or the amount of the observations in each class if it is not explicitly designed to handle such situations. And in this episode, I speak about some effective techniques to handle imbalanced datasets, advising the right method or the most appropriate one to the right dataset or problem. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. To complete the picture of the hard scenarios that you might be dealing with in the real world, another example comes from social media with the churn prediction. In all the domains that I just mentioned, the rate of events to be detected can be between 1% or 2% or even lower. In such situations, it is very easy to build a predictive model that is biased and therefore inaccurate. And what many data scientists do is trying to improve overall accuracy, which is, well, wrong. You have a better model when it reaches higher accuracy on the minority class and not overall. That's the rule. Now, what an algorithm does is simply tuning itself around observations and reducing an error between a predicted value, and the true value. Now, there is no algorithm that, as I said, can take into account the fact that the distribution of the class to be predicted, or the amount of the observations in that class, is extremely low and much, much lower than the other classes. As a matter of fact, almost all machine learning algorithms are quite bad, I must say, with uh, imbalanced datasets. Now, think about a classifier that is trained on very imbalanced data set. Uh, now, think how tricky can it be to analyze its accuracy? So imagine that if the data set were formed by, let's say, 99% negative cases and just 1% positive cases, the rate, let's assume, let, let's assume we are talking about the uh, data set of healthy and sick patients. So we have fortunately only 1% of sick individuals. Now, the rate of patients that are affected by the disorder uh, is extremely low. And so, a very trivial classifier that always predicts healthy will be right 99% of the time. And so, generally speaking, regardless of the event to, to be predicted, if the event rate is, let's say, 1% or 2%, how can one get a balanced data set by getting a decent number of samples for these anomalies, given the rare occurrence for some of them. So the usual classification methods like decision trees or the family of regression methods can be biased and actually are usually biased with imbalanced classes. And they will prefer to tune themselves around those classes where there is a high number of observations or a sufficient number of observations to tune the parameters. So in the jargon, we say that they only predict the majority class data. Now, usually the independent variables or the features of the rare observation, which is called the minority class, are considered outliers or noise, and will definitely not participate to model tuning. So this in turn leads to a consistent misclassification of the minority class. So next time when they speak about a super accurate decision tree or regression model, don't be easily impressed. Actually ask them, hey, what's the majority class rate? What are you basically asking is the number of observations in each class. And if they are clearly imbalanced, then ask them, hey, how did you manage the imbalance? How is your model dealing with this huge bias in the data? And I promise you, if they didn't think of any mechanism to mitigate such bias, well, they didn't do the right thing. And so tell them to download this podcast episode because we can actually do better. Hey. Now, let me tell you a story about the guy who taught a confusion matrix would have spotted the problem of uh, biased datasets. So first of all, what is the confusion matrix? The confusion matrix is a matrix that contains information of the predicted class and the true class. So, in a binary classification problem, like the one of before, uh, an algorithm that predicts if a person is healthy or sick, well, in that case, the confusion matrix will be a two-by-two matrix that counts how many times the algorithm correctly predicted healthy, how many times the algorithm correctly predicted sick, and how many times the algorithm made a mistake on the healthy people, and so generating false positives, and another mistake, how many times another mistake on sick people uh, generating false negatives. So again, in the case of a 99% majority class, which is quite normal, in healthcare this is normal, the confusion matrix in this case, as in many other cases, is not telling you the full story, so definitely the confusion matrix is not showing you the true accuracy of the classifier. And so it turns out that that guy was more confused than the matrix. So how to handle imbalanced datasets? Well, there are two major strategies to deal with imbalanced datasets. One consists in um, working on the data itself, and the other consists in uh, working on the algorithm. So we will start from working on the data. Working on the data means that in front of an imbalanced data set, one can increase the frequency of the minority class or equivalently decrease the frequency of the majority class or both. Now this approach will in turn balance the classes, again, with a similar number of observations for each, Of course, the way this sampling, or let's call it resampling, occurs plays a fundamental role and can determine the accuracy of the final model due to higher quality of the data. Needless to say that whenever we decrease the frequency of the majority class, we also increase the risk of losing some information and therefore compromise the quality of the classifier or the model in general. Also, in the case of inflating the minority class, we risk to increase the number, only a fraction of the samples of that class and creating even more bias. Not to mention the risk of overfitting due to the fact that more data in the minority class are not really adding anything new to the model as indeed they are duplicates. And so, as you can see, this is a very risky situation in both cases which tells that this method is not really the silver bullet against imbalanced data sets a more sophisticated way to inflate a minority class or reduce the majority class with the intent to balance the dataset overall considers clustering algorithms like k-means k-means is a typical unsupervised algorithm that detects clusters in the data now a cluster is basically a group of observations that are kind of similar to each other and therefore they belong to the same group or cluster indeed now observations of two different clusters are supposed to be different among each other and that's how k-means works in practice by maximizing the distance between elements across clusters and minimizing the distance of elements within the same cluster and with this said k-means can also be used to balance a dataset. How can it be? Well, first of all, detect all the clusters in your dataset. Then each cluster is oversampled such that all clusters of the same class have a similar number of instances and all classes have the same size. So this approach will terminate when all the observations have been balanced. And this is performed independently from minority and majority class. So again, we are increasing the risk of overfitting the training data as for all the oversampling techniques. But in this approach, we are doing something better than before because the method of before was systematically inflating or reducing the data kind of randomly. Of course, there is a way to improve uh, even this method and mitigate the problem of overfitting, which will always occur whenever identical observations are duplicated in the dataset. And this is referred to as Synthetic Minority Oversampling Technique or SMOTE or SMOTE. The SMOTE technique is relatively simple. Here's the recipe. Extract a subset from the minority class and a new synthetic set of observations is created. Now, this new set is not really identical to the original subset, but it is very similar. One can choose any method to generate similar observations given an initial set of them. So, the synthetically generated observations are added to the original data set, which is now less imbalanced than before, This approach mitigates overfitting that is usually due to random oversampling because it doesn't really randomly oversample. It does so in a more sophisticated way that depends on the method used to generate these similar observations. It can be, of course, as simple as... a an average between any two observations, or it can be a more sophisticated k nearest neighbor method, or even a generative neural network, or whatever method you might think of. Now, the better the method, of course, to generate similar instances, the less random the approach, and the higher the quality of the generated dataset. Now, in addition to this important feature, there is also no loss of useful information, because we are not downsampling. There is, however, a drawback uh, due to the fact that this algorithm, at least in its original version, does not consider similar examples from other classes, which could increase the overlap between synthetic observations from different classes. Does it make sense? Let me explain. When I look at class A and I generate similar elements of that class, I might be generating something that is similar to the elements of class B. And that could happen because I'm just not looking at class B. Now, I think you can get the hint. An even more sophisticated version of Smote can look at the other classes and mitigate the overlap among generated elements. Now, these are strategies that deal with imbalanced datasets by working on the data itself. But there is another strategy that consists in modifying the standard classification algorithms and make them more appropriate for imbalanced datasets. These are the strategies that consist in working on the algorithms. This is exactly the strategy where ensemble methods kick in. Now, ensemble methods have been implemented to improve the performance of the single model when the single model is not really accurate. Ensembling indeed consists in building a number of single classifiers and then combining or aggregating their predictions into one classifier that is usually stronger. There are two ways to ensemble classifiers. One is called bagging or bootstrap aggregating, and the other is called boosting. Let's start from bagging. take n different bootstrap training samples with replacement from the original data, train the algorithm on each bootstrap separately, and aggregate the results at the end. Now, it turns out that bagging can reduce overfitting because there is overlap between classifiers. Remember that I said to generate a bootstrap with replacement. That's very important. The stability and the accuracy of the aggregated classifier is usually better than the single model. In a previous episode about ensemble methods, I show exactly this with a numeric example. So, feel free to listen to that episode again and share it with your friends who want to understand why you prefer an ensemble over a bunch of low accurate accuracy methods. So, the final classifier, also called the bagged classifier, is usually more robust to variations in the data. And so, variance and overfitting are both reduced. When data is noisy, go with bagging, not boosting, for some reasons that I will explain in a minute. The only problem I see with bagging is that all of these holds if the single classifiers are, let's say, good enough. Because if they are all poor classifiers, bagging can actually make it worse. So this is not the case for the boosting approach. Boosting indeed combines quite bad models into a stronger one. So boosting starts with a number of poor classifiers, also called weak learners. These learners can be just a bit better than random guess and quite sensitive to small variations in the data. So they are basically very bad classifiers. What happens next? Well, the algorithm performs in a number of iterations. So in the next one, the new classifier will focus on observations that could not be predicted correctly. And so, as the algorithm proceeds to the next iterations, only the observations that require more attention will be considered. Why? Because the classifier didn't get it right before. So, this attention or weight increases at each iteration only for cases that are more and more difficult, and it decreases for those cases that were correctly classified. Now, this is exactly how AdaBoost works. Another form of boosting that works a bit differently than AdaBoost or adaptive boosting is called gradient boosting. In gradient boosting, a lot of weak learners are trained to minimize the usual loss function or the difference between the predicted value and the true value, Weak learners in gradient boosting can be very shallow decision trees. Of course, there is not so much that a shallow decision tree can do to classify complex data, but thousands of decision trees actually can. And this is exactly what gradient boosting does. So here's the recipe. It builds the first model on the training dataset and calculates the loss As I said, it's the difference between the real value and the output of the first learner. Then it uses this loss to build a better classifier in the second step. At every step, it calculates the residual of the loss function with the gradient descent method. And then the new residual becomes a target variable for the next iteration. This will in turn reduce the loss at each iteration. Now this can be quite intense in terms of computations and also quite tricky to optimize due to the fact that there are some parameters to tune in advance and that it's very hard to estimate. For example, what should be the depth of the single decision tree? Or how many trees should should we be using? So such questions usually have no answer and a grid search can kind of explore the space of possibilities to determine the best combination of parameters. This will require even larger computing resources. So, after this episode you should know more about how to deal with imbalanced datasets, which is very common in uh, real life problems, and you can start experimenting immediately with your imbalanced dataset at home using tools like uh, scikit-learn which covers many methods hereby described and of course XGBoost package available for Python that's all for today thanks for listening this episode is supported by ABE AI. the Abe.ai platform joins advanced financial machine learning and natural language processing to give banks the ability to engage and support customers at scale using artificial intelligence visit Abe.ai to see how we are changing the financial services industry or how you can join our team This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceatome.com.